So, you know, our customers use our software to run their day to day, right? They're just trying to ship orders out, understand how much they have on hand, understand what everything costs, you know, where it is in, in the process, which is, you know, fairly proven concepts in the broader world. But why we exist is that there's a lot of vertical specificity that is required to just do that on a day to day basis. One of the key pieces of that is remitting data back to the state track and trace system. So, you know, that system, this, a lot of states have a system in place in which they want all the operators to report their inventory and the movement of inventory. And then every state has like these various data points they want on it, right? Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Mays. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where the bad news is that time flies, and the good news is that you are the pilot. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. Well, Q4 is underway and flying by already. Only 20 days until Halloween, 44 days until Thanksgiving, 75 days to Christmas, and 81 days left until we welcome in 2023. Believe that? Well, you know, somebody had to say it, so you're welcome. But make sure to make every day count and be a great pilot. It seems like various holiday decorations arrived really early this year. I mean, supply chain issues are still abundant and things are either arriving really early or really late. I was in a store earlier in the summer where there were winter coats, swimsuits, and Christmas ornaments all within a few feet of each other. So I guess Elon Musk was right when he said the supply chain stuff is really tricky. Now, our guest this week may have a few things to say about that and making tricky things run smoothly. More about that in a minute. In last week's episode, we talked with Ann Ching, CEO of Supercharge Lab, an all-encompassing digital marketing solution that allows you to sit back, relax, and supercharge your growth. It's a very impressive solution that uses AI to guide marketing and client acquisition. It's a great conversation, really fun with a serial entrepreneur who has sold two of her previous startups and pays it forward. So if you missed that, definitely go back and give it a listen. My guest this week is Colton Griffin, CEO of Flourish Software, a leading supply chain management and ERP system for the cannabis, CBD, and hemp verticals. In a highly regulated industry, Flourish Software tracks and optimizes the entire supply chain from seed to sale. On a trip to California, Colton saw a true greenfield opportunity in an industry that was primed for massive growth, but with no sophisticated systems to support that growth. Flourish software allows the industry to grow exponentially and flourish with supply chain best practices and innovation. So give a loud shout out to Colton Griffin. Well, hey, Colton, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your company and how you came up with the idea of building a software in the the CBD cannabis industry. Yeah. So I run a company called Flourish Software. We handle all the supply chain and logistics needs, primarily within the four walls, meaning 
the inventory management, manufacturing, execution, tracking the plants through the grow processes, and then the retail operations within the retail point of sale. So how did we end up in this crazy industry and building this platform over the last five years? I would say somewhat by accident. I was out in California and connected uh, with some players in the industry and sparked sort of discovery that this industry was both emerging and severely lacking in software. And my background is in the more enterprise, traditional enterprise software domain of uh, warehouse management, order management, and transportation management. And so I had a team, uh, my team and I were working on some analytics uh, sort of ideas, productizing some of our consulting uh, around operationalizing supply chain analytics and building a platform out for that. We discovered that cannabis was just, it was just a clear opportunity that we cared about and we could apply our skill sets to. And we did a lot of discovery the first half of 2017 to try to determine if there was a market there for it. And everything told us that there was uh, uh, a big market that that really needed what we, we could bring to it. And so we landed our first couple customers and worked really hard and, and built the platform and got it deployed late Q3, early Q4 in 2017. I think a lot of people look at the the industry and think that it's uh, you know more of a, a mom and pop kind of operation, but this is is really turned into a real industry and uh, you know a lot of sophistication supply chain, we're talking operations, enterprise software, analytics. So how has the industry evolved, you know, since you've seen it and been involved? So, you know, even the enterprise side of this industry is small potatoes compared to what some true enterprise looks like out there. It's just amazing when you get into the nuts and bolts of a company to see, you know, how big companies get, you know, in the broader world, right? But I would not say that this industry is relegated to small mom and pop shops. Exactly. Yeah. They're real businesses. They're real businesses doing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. And I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry across the country. What's really interesting is that the industry is like still very fragmented because you can't transport products across state lines. So even the biggest companies operate, you know, say they operate in 10 states, they operate as 10 sort of siloed like operations that can't truly uh, see those efficiencies that you could if you were able to ship and service in a complete national market. I mean, it's grown incredibly. Like the topic of supply chain management probably isn't the most, you know, it probably isn't what people set out to focus on when building these businesses, but it's the how it all works behind it. It's really the, the where it meets you know, where the business meets like profitability, right? It's all around execution at the end of the day. So, you know, over the last five years, we've seen a lot of our customers grow, you know, hundred X plus, I mean, our biggest customer, when we started with them, they had like one or two stores, small 10,000 square foot grow. I was at their manufacturing facility the other day, 200, almost 300 people work there. Uh, it's almost a million square feet of cultivation. Wow. 50 stores are running. That's just in one state. And uh, it's been incredible to see like businesses like that grow over the last few years. And, you know, it's happening in every market that we've legalized. So it's, it is the real deal. And it's, there's a whole, like the talent also that's come into this industry is matured as well alongside of that. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible to see how these businesses have been built, you know, in, in relatively short amount of time. Yeah, that's an industry that really didn't exist, at least in a legal fashion, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So no, not in a legal fashion. So 
<laughs> I'm sure it's been around a lot longer than that. Yeah, certainly. So how is it working in a, a regulated industry that, uh, you know, navigating some of the challenges that uh, maybe some places it's legal at a state level, but still illegal at a federal level crossing state lines? And what are some of the challenges you have with supply chain? So a lot of it's fragmentation. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the there's a lot there's a lack of access to a lot of the traditional tools that people have to manage, you know, manage their their operations. So from a vendor selection, you know, it's all thawing out and it's actually changed dramatically over the years and it continues to be moving in a positive direction. So I don't want to paint a complete doom and gloom scenario here that you can't touch anything or there's no banking or there's no access to anything. Like it's not be a little unfair to characterize it as like that. I would just say everything. Institutions are starting to say, okay, in process and, you know, cards are accepted now in a lot of places. It's not just a cash business. And it is changing. It's yeah, small chips, small moves. Yeah, but I would say everything in this industry is, is is twice as hard as it should be because there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of one of the big challenges is just like the number of regulations and the frequency in which they change, and like having to adapt to them and very quickly. Right, so we'll see new rules change on packaging or testing or you know, like all these crazy inspections that people have to go through and these audits. And, you know, a lot of that, like, you know, there can be like a hundred rule changes in a year that uh, the small things, but even the small things matter because the industry is so heavily regulated and so heavily scrutinized that, you know, it's like moving mountains to move something from one side of the of the building to the other sometimes. So <laughs> it's, it's really, it's like, sometimes I feel like we're not handling a plant. We're handling like nuclear waste. That's what it feels like with the amount of paperwork and sign offs and the detailed level of traceability that we help clients comply with. As so I have the regulations affected the way you build software or the way you think about your roadmap going forward. So, you know, our customers use our software to run their day to day, right? They're just trying to ship orders out, understand how much they have on hand, understand what everything costs, you know, where it is in, in the process, which is, you know, fairly proven concepts in the broader world. But why we exist is that there's a lot of vertical specificity that is required to just do that on a day to day basis. One of the key pieces of that is remitting data back to the state track and trace system. So, you know, that system, this, a lot of states have a system in place in which they want all the operators to report their inventory and the movement of inventory. And then every state has like these various data points they want on it, right? Top terpenes, top cannabinoids, MMJ use quantity, right? Like these like small little attributes that are required to be, you know, captured at the point when something's manufactured or tested, and then propagated through as you split and combine stuff and move it around. So, you know, a lot of what we do, like I would say, you know, a good chunk of what we do, maybe 30% of what we do is around the regulatory needs for complying with labeling, complying with track and trace, you know, reporting and complying with like making sure that customers are operating in a compliant manner. So the the checks and balances we do to ensure that things are, you know, have proper lot numbers associated to it, that we're enforcing uh, expiration dates, that things are moving through, you know, you can only leave a harvest open for so many days before finalizing it. So like there's lots of these little details that we help our customers stay on top of. And our customers tend to be, you know, the mid to larger size customers with, you know, lots of 
lots of movement going through their facilities. And so they really rely on a system in place to help have that second set of eyes and help just systematize, you know, like make it very, uh, very baked into their SOPs and very native to what they do on a daily day basis while they're just trying to ship orders out and make money. So it's driving some pretty significant efficiency, it sounds like. A lot of, you know, trying to reduce the data entry, trying to make sure the data entry can be entered once and then go like a lot of our big value props is integrating all their other systems into one point of truth. So we keep their menu up to date. We send data back to the CRM. We send the data back to QuickBooks for them to reconcile the books. So like one of the big reasons people come to us is like they have four or five different things they're typing the same data into. And, you know, as you're typing data in, there's inevitable human error. And it's just, you know, it's a giant burden and it really is a giant burden on these relatively small businesses to just make sure that they're operating compliantly and getting everything in and documented and et cetera like that. So, you know, when we come in and we put our software in and we, we automate a lot of that and we streamline a lot of it and we make it hard to screw up, which is key. That's really good. Yes. Uh, that's a sign of a great product right there. If it, if it's hard to make mistakes or you've thought through what those mistakes are likely to be. And also easy to undo mistakes and easy to audit when mistakes inevitably happen. So, you know, like that's the other thing. Like, we have customers that have thousands of SKUs, right? They're doing lots and lots of work sure. today. And like, you know, prior to bringing software in, you know, they're spending, you know, upwards of eight to 12, 10, you know, like hours, hours a, a week researching what happened to this item? Why is this number like this? Like, you know, and then we brought that down to like a, a click of a button, right? We can punch in a tag number and we can see everything that happened to that across all their licenses, you know, in a click of a button. We can punch in a lot number and we can do a full recall report, right? You, you can be, you know, like say you mislabeled something and you got to re- pull it back from 20 stores, right? Like that's a click of a, bu- a button, not a day's worth of work and like wondering if you're going to get a huge fine because you accidentally sold something that was mislabeled. Wow. That's pretty impressive. It really like, that's not what people think about on, on the day-to-day basis. They're just trying to get through their day and deal with all the other noise of, of running it. But when something happens, like it's a lifesaver. So what is something that uh, you didn't expect in coming into the industry? So, you know, I don't know what I expected jumping into all of this, to be honest. Like, you know, I think back and think, what were we doing? We were just, you know, a hungry team looking for a problem to solve that aligned with what, something we actually cared about and, you know, and our skill set. You know, you know, we wanted to build a healthy business doing it, which we've done. You know, I don't know that I expected to see like the range of products that we've seen. I mean, I've seen everything from like the craziest product I've seen is like an in- infused toothpick. Like, wow. Just what I thought I couldn't find. <laughs> Who would have thought? I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's all the various concentrates. There's all the various, you know, flower products, um, infused products, like amazing edibles, and then all these different stuff. One of the things that really did surprise me as I got into these operations and really walked them is the amount of science and engineering that goes into making this work. Like from a cultivation perspective, incredible science around the understanding of the plant, the biology of the plant, the perfect conditions that people are always trying to optimize to make the plant, you know, produce what you want it to produce, which can be different things for different purposes, right? Depending on if you're extract or you're growing it for, you know, for flower to sell whole flower, or you're looking for a cannabinoid. I mean, an incredible amount of, of science there. And then in the extraction world, I mean, I have an engineering degree, And I 
know enough to know when I'm out of out of my skill set. And, you know, the fact that like these, some of these folks, you know, on the extraction methodologies and the complexity of the machines and the complexity of what goes into to running this, I mean, this is really, really deep science and mechanical and fluid engineering to do it. It's, it's actually way more impressive than, than I ever would have thought. It's not, this is not, this is not easy. Yeah. It's not just, you know, growing something in your backyard and, and opening up a shop in the front. I mean, you know, you can grow it, the plant grows, but like growing it at scale for commercial purposes. And for uh, specific reasons. And for specific specific things, I mean, knowing what you're going to do with the plant. I mean, it's fascinating, all of the the different uses and things like that as well. Probably another thing that is that around the health, um, like, you know, legal cannabis is legal because of the medical efforts, you know, like we, especially during the AIDS crisis, activists, you know, really pushed the state of California to open up a program and allow on a state level folks to legally grow and possess and sell cannabis for medical purposes, right? And that's the roots of the legal industry. It's in medical. And you see a lot of states that are medical only even today, right? Texas is medical only. uh, Florida is medical only. So, you know, I think that if you're not a patient and you're kind of, I mean, you like watch the late night talk show, you're like, yeah, you know, smoking weed for my glycoma, right? Like it, you know, because it, like, you know, like, cause quickly as things built over time, you know, people wanted recreational access through the medical program and that kind of relaxed. But now we have recreational cannabis, right? And we did, we've achieved that in a lot of states around the country. But similar to the science of the plant and the science of making the product, the medical uses of, of the plant are really significant and, you know, it's actually positively affects millions of people's lives and gets them off of drugs and, you know, is sometimes the only thing that's worked for pain management, inflammation, sleep, you know, things around some certain cancers and side effects around it. And there's, you know, this huge litany of like medical ailments that people use cannabis for in various forms and various formulations and I think that's incredible. And it's something that we have to continue to talk about and have to make sure like that doesn't get left behind in the rush for recreational, you know, cannabis, because the medical piece of it is, is truly transformational and it, you know, it's disruptive and it's, and it's, it's a huge step forward for like society, right? It's in all of our interest to get grandma off of like eight of her 12 prescriptions, right? It's just a better quality of life. It's a lower cost of healthcare for us as a society. You know, it's a healthier, there's not adverse outcomes, you know, with all the drugs, drug interactions and with each other. And I think that that is, that's really materialized in the country. And we've seen that we've seen evidence now of reduced opiate use in states that have legalized. And we've seen that that happen across the country. And even in the CBD world, I mean, I don't know how many folks you know that do, that have used CBD since the farm bill passed and that exploded. But like, you know, I also know anecdotally lots of folks that don't have access to, you know, medical cannabis that still have access to CBD and find that useful for sleep and for anxiety and for some of the uses that, you know, some of the claims that you can make there. And so when we fully get recreate, you know, medical cannabis legalized across the entire country, and we continue to invest, you know, much more in the science and the process between delivering that. I mean, I think that there's a very bright future in front of us as far as like plant-based medicine and that really being a big plus for everybody. 
Yeah, that makes sense. How do you think that uh, regulation or challenges in the industry have driven innovation? You know, how have those constraints pushed things forward? Well, I would say that this a lot of the software in this space wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the stringent regulations that are here, right? We've built ERP like software and made that accessible at, you know, a very affordable price point for folks that, you know, are, are running small businesses. And I think that that is pretty cool. I mean, you know, I come from a world where like you're, you know, 30 year old technology, you're trying to stitch it together. It's a multi-million dollar projects, you know, hundred people on the project over, you know, a couple of years trying to, you know, it's hard, right? Enterprise software is hard and it's hard at a big business to like, you know, align the data across all the systems and have a single point of truth and have it all do it. And now we've built that, we built that here and we've scaled it and it's really fun. And it's really pretty incredible. So I think, you know, some of the regulation is, as it's also like, even on the banking side and the banking compliance, it's like forcing some innovation there, some technology and some technology adoption around know your customer anti-money laundering laws and some of the, you know, the fintech innovations we're doing to try to make payments work in a space that it's very challenging to, to, to have payments. It took us 18 months to get payments deployed within our point of sale. It's and, definitely a challenge. You know, just waiting through the BS and, you know, and then getting the legal right and then getting the agreement right and then getting it launched, like, you know, and doing it compliant in a compliant way. It was very challenging. I think that also, you know, because cannabis has existed in the shadows, like in an illicit market for so long, you, when you can't ask for people for help, you become very innovative to do it yourself. So there's like a natural, there's some pretty interesting, I think, innovation that it's not regulatory. It's probably anti, it's not regulatory driven. It's driven because regulatory systems wouldn't allow people to use traditional tools, right? So you kind of have to come up with ways to do it yourself. So on the operator side, I I mean, there's some creative solutions people have as as how they run their businesses and how they figured out how to make things efficient and do things, you know, like indoor cultivation is an innovation of prohibition, right? I mean, people didn't like, wake up one day and say, I really want to grow all of my crop indoor. They said, well, I want to grow this crop and I got to figure out how to make it do it and grow it indoor. Right. And so all of indoor cultivation and all the innovation around making that efficient and making that work at scale is all a product of prohibition. Uh, there, No one would ever be growing cannabis indoors. I mean, you know, now they can, now there's a huge argument to it, especially once you've sunk you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into these facilities across the country or billions of dollars into these facilities across the country. But, you know, that whole category of cultivation and all of the, all of the stuff around it is a product of prohibition. And I think it's interesting how some of that is spread out into other areas as well. So just advances in hydroponics. In, in, totally. There's some uh, interesting city, companies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, inner city vegetable gardens, things like that. I mean, you know, growing inside, and so now you've got, uh, you know, you can't have a farm in the middle of the city. Well, actually, now you can. Yeah. And so it's some of those same types of innovations that are being used uh, to do that. Well, and you're also looking at, like, can you take the same, can you take inputs and, like, get more yield out of it, right? A better, more consistent year-round yield with, like, more crop turns. Right. A lot of the big metrics we look at in cannabis is, like, how many crops can you get out of the facility? You're looking for five or six a year. And it's a very strict schedule, and there's a lot of process and technology to try to maximize that because you have a square footage and you're trying to maximize the output of it. And so taking those principles and that stuff and taking it into traditional ag for food is, I I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that have raised a lot of money that are doing that. 
And I think that that's pretty interesting and uh, it allows you to do more local production and, you know, maybe a better product or healthier product or, you know, more efficient product. Well, we're going to take a quick sponsor break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one misconception in the industry that uh, is not true and set the record straight after this. Well, today's episode is sponsored by Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a growth plan to scale your SaaS beyond 10 million. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks to achieve profitable growth, impact, and freedom. Unleash your SaaS growth at championleadership.com. Welcome back to SaaS Fuel. My guest today, Colton Griffin, CEO of Flourish Software. And Colton, tell me one misconception or one thing that people believe about the, the CBD or cannabis industry that uh, is just not true. I would say that if you think that stoners are lazy, you haven't ever worked anywhere near this industry where it is some of the hardest working people that put up with some of the most insane, you know, levels of frustration and barriers and, and challenges that, that I've ever seen. I mean, that's one myth I would bust pretty quickly. So. That's really interesting. And because there is a lot of innovation and we were talking about that earlier, just the innovation and people have come into the industry from a lot of other places and bringing their expertise. I mean, that's how you're here. You've got the supply chain expertise and, and have come into the industry bringing, you know, those best practices. There's a stigma that using cannabis, you know, there's a stigma in sort of a, like a pop culture persona that's stuck on folks that use cannabis or the term stoner. But I will say some of the smartest, most most high functioning, you know, hardest working folks use cannabis on a regular basis that that I see in in and outside the industry. And to think that the industry is only around 20-somethings that want to smoke weed after school or, you know, college stoners is like totally not the tr- not not true. Like it's what I think is amazing is that this industry like literally services everybody across every demographic and every age group and every income group. And like it's it's like all these myths that the war on drugs has like created and perpetuated and ads and, you know, and this sort of um, stuff like that is like. It just, you know, needs to go out the window. And I think it's quickly is going out the window. So, you know, that's one I think that's one myth that I would bust pretty quickly. That's a really good one. And I think that is the, the perception a lot of times. And uh, the more that I've had conversations like this, the, the more that I've learned just the, the level of sophistication and, uh, and how far the industry has come. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. Well, we all, all want to build businesses. I mean, of course, we want to grow and, and make money and those kinds of things. But you know, I think something that we're both passionate about is being able to to give back and and using business to do greater good in the the world. So, tell me a little bit about how you're doing that and and how you see businesses being able to affect the community. So, you know, I think this is one of the more important topics out there right now. You know, everybody like we all build a business to make money at the end of the day, right? We have stakeholders and shareholders, and we have to make profit, and we have to grow and we have to make sure everyone has, you know, a healthy paycheck. And, and then past that though, I feel like, you know, there's a big need to have a bigger why I'm in a bigger purpose and a bigger effect on society past just that, you know, that next, you know, revenue target. hundred percent. 
And so, you know, I, I've, I think a lot of us and me including the included have, have felt that, you know, we need to search for that. We need to continue to, to talk about it and stay focused on it. So, you know, and as you become successful in your business, like it gives you that freedom to do that, you know, at the early stage, like you, you know, you kind of have to be focused on just making it work, right? Like, you, right. <laughs> you know, you have to make sure you're making payroll, you have to make sure you're making, you know, that sales goal, you have to get the tech right, you have to, you know, get the people hired and all that. And so it's important to have that, you know, your culture right when you're or when you're early and you know, think about benefits and you know, think about budgeting for benefits that, you know, make sure that your team's taken care of and that you're building a positive, you know, inclusive culture that, you know, that helps you get there and be successful. And then as you get further along, you know, we're looking at how do we take our platform and how do we, you know, do an outsized, you know, how do we affect change in a better way with the platform we built, right? So we have a really cool social equity program where we've helped uh, a number of companies, you know, implement software and we've given our software to them for free to use as a competitive advantage and as a tool to train them and get them, you know, just get them a, a better set of tools to be competitive, you know, coming from a disadvantaged background and coming out of a social equity program, which is a, a hot topic in cannabis, you know, trying to help people that have been in the industry prior to legalization, you know, find a path to success within this market and grow. And so the social equity program that we put together a year ago has been really cool. We had a piece we put out last month, I think, or earlier this month, profiling one of our, our clients in San Francisco who's seen a ton of gains. And then also just the reward of like training the people on how to, you know, use software and understand these skill sets that are very translatable, you know, for the rest of their career. I think that's that's been pretty cool. Another thing that we've been working on is on the environmental side, you know, really as a software company, like the most important thing that I see us all facing is climate change, you know, right. At the end of the day, like if we don't have a planet to live on and we're systematically destroying every ecosystem that on this planet, like it doesn't really matter, you know, what piece of software we sell or what, you know, what we're doing if we're, if we don't have a place to live. And so, you know, I really work to try to map what Flourish is doing as a software company to some level of environmental change and environmental mission. And, you know, sometimes it's a challenge just because we don't have a lot of physical assets. Uh, we don't purchase things. We don't, you know, like, like we all work from home. So we have a fairly low carbon impact. Like we don't have a commute, you know, uh, like from an infrastructure perspective, you know, our server, like we don't have a huge infrastructure spend realistically. And, you know, Amazon and where, where we host, like they work to offset a lot of their their energy usage with with renewables, which is really cool. So, you know, one of the only areas I've seen us to be able to to kind of do that is just to like to really draw attention to clients that are you know that are following good environmental practices and you know folks that are like really hitting it hard on good packaging uh, like packaging and plastic is one of the biggest waste you know streams in this industry and so you know we've really tried to highlight you know how people can look at packaging and you know reduce uh, the plastic in that you know highlight companies and clients that are doing that right and, you know, advocate for regulators to, you know, maybe revisit some of the tagging rules that generates an incredible amount of waste in, in this space um, with these like large plastic tags going like every single plant. It's kind of crazy. So, yeah, I mean, talking about it and talking about the issues and highlighting what's good is, you know, it's is just like a way that as a software company, you can use a voice to, you know, to draw more attention and to, you know, 
start to move the needle in the broader world. That's good. A uh, real big proponent of uh, getting the, the team behind the mission and vision of an organization. I think that's one of the most important things that you can do as a, a business owner is really have a strong mission and vision and get the team aligned. So how do you get your team aligned with that? How do you keep them on track with the mission and vision of Flourish? I mean, it's all around communication. We live in Slack. We've been longtime Slack users, longtime U- Zoom users, like way before Zoom was cool. And, you know, like we, when you have like a remote team, a remote first team, I mean, you have to build and you have to find champions to help like build culture, you know, across the team that doesn't see each other and talk to each other every day. So we have a couple channels in our Slack channel where we, you know, post fun stuff. Like we, we kind of, we, as a management team talk about engaging, you know, the departments, finding like setting up events or setting up activities to, you know, to encourage cross department communication. We do these things like burn and learns where we'll take a topic and have someone present on that topic and, you know, and like out loud people ask questions. So it's, and then, you know, we have regular, you know, regular team meetings, like we at least once or twice a month, we'll have a whole company meeting just to get everybody, you know, kind of go around, like give everyone updates, allow people ask questions. It's just like over communication is the goal, right? It's just trying to, to make sure everyone has someone to ask them how they're doing on a regular basis that pulls them into some unstructured time to talk and just get to know each other. And then, um, you know, formalize some of those, um, company updates and department updates, department meetings, so that we're all aligned with uh, what we're working on, what we're talking about. So what has been one of your biggest challenges as a leader in leading a team, especially a remote team? So, you know, I think one of the challenges that, you know, I've had with building the team is just continually, like we have a very big product that we manage. And so continuing to sort of refine what that mission is as you're finding product market fit is sometimes a little bit challenging to, if you have a wide product that touches a lot of different segments, you know, just to say like, Hey, we're not switching directions A and B. Like it's all really around one final product. Uh, It's just like, you know, from a dev perspective, you know, it does sometimes feel like we're doing whack-a-mole across various initiatives and streams. And so, you know, like one of the things has been keeping everybody aware of what the left hand, like keeping the right hand aware of what the left hand is doing, which is kind of why we implemented all of these like team meetings and company updates and company meetings is because when we have like siloed departments, not knowing why the project you're working on really relates to a pro- like another department, like sort of can sometimes like make people question, why am I doing this? Why does this matter? And so, you know, communication is one of those big things that we've, you know, we've seen be somewhat of a challenge and to respond to that challenge, we've implemented like a lot of these processes to try to over communicate and to build structure to it. Like early on, we would have, you know, our project would like go off the rails because a task got missed, right? Because we didn't have a good communication path between implementation and development or developers like complaining because people are pinging them directly and driving them crazy. They're trying to get through their day and work and like, Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? Hey, where are we at on this? That's always a challenge. Always. And so, you know, we like, we like, those were a lot of the challenges we've had like over the years is like, you know, it's like trying to reduce that friction and trying to keep people like, 
in their lane sometimes. And then also keep people aware of what they need to be doing and like not let all that burden fall on like just your A player. Right. Cause you know, so-and-so always gets it done. And so you just go directly to them and you bug them and, and they do get it done. They're the one that will stay out to up to 10 o'clock at night getting it done because they just have that tribe and they have that mindset. But as a manager and as a leader, like your, your job is to not burn that person out. And so you have to like, you have to kind of get ahead of that and pull that back and say, hey, no, I need to put some barriers up so you're not always, you know, overloading this person because I can't have my best, you know, my best talent just like get burned out. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we identified over the last few years and we've made some pretty significant adjustments to mitigate that. And, you know, and then it's always a work in progress. Like these things don't happen overnight and they don't, you know, and those changes don't, they have to be maintained. You have to continuously um, revisit them and optimize them. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in continuous improvement. I have an industrial engineering degree. So it's just like baked into like my core is like, look at a process and like every, every, at least every year, you should be revisiting all of your processes, right? especially in an early stage company. Really um, important. We've redone all of our processes generally every year, if not every two years, and sometimes more frequently if it's a, a higher growth area of the like a higher growth department, because it's just, you have to do it. And so, you know, that's one of the, I would say it's not necessarily a challenge. It's more of us like looking at what is challenging about what we do and like trying to eliminate that. And, you know, we, that's one of the things we do really well here at the company is be okay changing and encourage that feedback loop so we can stay on top of it. That's absolutely critical as an entrepreneur and as a, a growing organization is, not only accepting change, but loving change. Yes. Because it's, that's what the whole business is. It's constantly changing. It's lifeblood of it. You know, if you're not moving forward, you're going to get left behind. Right. So, and you know, like just this year, we, you know, we redid our dev processes for like probably the fifth time, at least major ones where we, you know, clap some projects together because, you know, the team size changed, the project work changed and, you know, we looked at how we were working. We we're like, it seems really in- inefficient, right? We're like, we're like maintaining multiple streams of work, but like really at this point now, like these, you know, we need to collapse it into one and like, we need to adjust like our meeting schedule and our meeting cadence so that, you know, we're not, you know, just what was working a year ago or two years ago, just felt like it wasn't working. And then suddenly, you know, literally within a week or two, we're putting out more output with, you know, the same team and we're hitting the, we're hitting the deadlines like more accurately. Like we're going from like a, you know, we dropped down to like a 50% of goal to, and we know we're hitting like 80% of goal, which is like a gold standard, right? No, it hits a hundred percent and we're pushing code, you know, and, and then also just like some really significant feedback loops to like eliminate some, you know, some friction on the user side, we just, you know, we really saw everything unlock and it unlocked really quickly, but it was about, I would say about two or three, two to four weeks of sort of adjustment and assessment. And then like, as soon as we assessed it, we just like dropped it in, like literally like within days and, you know, we're still small enough. You can do that pretty quickly, but you know, we've tried to build a culture around like that, not being scary. And some organizations, if you did that, like people, would just be paralyzed and frozen and not know what to do, you know, for the next two months. Right. And then you'd have, you know, you have like 40 hours of meetings discussing, do we want to do it? How do we want to do it? Like, did it work? And, you know, we've really built our company around just like getting it done. So just do it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it be very successful at, at that. 
Oh, that's really good. So, I mean, change is definitely a part of what we do. We've talked about how the industry has changed, technology has changed. What do you see the world looking like in five years? How do you think it will change? I mean, you know, I think that we're just killing spreadsheets one day at a time and automating everything, right? So interconnectivity between applications and systems is the mega trend that, you know, we're tr- certainly championing and certainly I see building. I see that, you know, the more, I, th- I mean, I see machine learning coming in into play in an operational fashion in a much bigger way than it is even right now. Uh, there's been huge gains. I mean, we were building some machine learning stuff like five, six years ago uh, to do some really cool stuff. And now all the technology has come like so much further. But you have to have the fundamentals in place before you can build the cool stuff. And so I feel it's like- Sad but true. I mean, it is kind of true, right? Like you kind of have to have, you know, you have to have a, a set of data like to learn off of, and you have to have a set of systems that you can then, you know, automate the button being pushed or the prompt being fed or the data element appearing on the screen. And so I see that just continuing to build and I see it building, you know, those technologies are, are kind of expensive or, you know, hard or skill sets are expensive to go do it. But I see that just coming further and further down into like the mid market and the SMB market and being more and more productized. I mean, I do think that a lot of what, you know, I'm looking across our app, a lot of the stuff that we do is going to even be happening faster and with less humans in, in place because, you know, frankly, we can train machines to do a lot of it. I mean, you know, and to click one button and for it to go and do, you know, something that used to take like someone's full-time job to do. And uh, it's about systems, it's about connectivity, it's about good, clean data, it's about good standards across code and how code, you know, how applications talk to each other. And I think, you know, over the next five years, we're, we're just going to see a lot of people freed up to do something that's a little bit more interesting than what they're doing today. So. Uh, that's great. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, there's there's so much more opportunity ahead of us and how technology will transform, but but certainly the integration. I think that, you know, climate change is, is the thing that we all have to face. Like, we just have to talk about it daily and talk about how what we do and how we live our lives, you know, affects the planet and the ecosystem that we live in. And, you know, and so I think that a, I think one of the most exciting things about working in this industry is not just the the cannabis from a recreational perspective, the cannabis from a medicinal perspective, transforming medicine and lowering our cost of healthcare and allowing people to have better health outcomes. But I think that hemp, the cannabis plant, the low THC cannabis plant hemp has the power to transform industries in a way that like goes far beyond what cannabis has. So I think that we're going to see plant-based plastics. I think we're going to see fiber be a very big thing that it's going to take five years for it to be real, but you know, it's coming and we're making good progress on that. I think that the exciting thing about hemp is that you can grow with a lot without the petrochemicals that we put on soybeans and corn. And so I think that hemp seed, when the FDA finishes in the, in USDA finishes approving that for animal feed, I think that's going to be a huge step forward and lower the carbon impact for, for agriculture. Interesting. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, we put soybeans and corn, we put an incredible amount of oil in on that. Right. I mean, we, you know, our uh, agricultural fertilizers are petroleum based and that's how we are able to feed the world. And we have to change that. I mean, we have to get back to a, 
an agricultural system that's more in tune with the natural environment doesn't rely on on the oil industry. It just has to happen. I mean, and so we have more mouths to feed and we have a planet that's what's warming and like we have to find more, we have to find better ways of doing that. So I think a lot of what we're doing in this industry has long tail, you know, positive, you know, it's part of the tools that's going to help make us make this all work. So while I love my cannabis side of our business, hemp is about 10% of what we do. I'm super excited about what that looks like, you know, over the next, you know, five to 10 years, because I see it transforming textiles, like feed, animal feed, building products, fiber, paper, like why are we cutting down, you know, 200 year old trees to make toilet paper? Right. Or, you know, right. I mean, why? Like this, that makes no sense. Right. Like, and you know, it's when we can do something that is much more sustainable and much more, it makes more economic sense. It makes more environmental sense. You know, it's, it's just better for all of us. So it just is going to take time to build out the supply chain and build out the infrastructure to make it all work. And that's what we're doing right now. I mean, it's pretty cool. That's great. A lot more creativity and innovation ahead. So Colton, where can people find out more about you and about Flourish Software Online? Oh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Colton Griffin, Flourish Software. We active LinkedIn user. Our social handle is at Finally Flourish. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We had, when we deployed our software to one of our biggest clients, they were, they were so happy that like hashtag kind of started trending internally. So we adopted it to ours. So finally some software that worked and that, that, that could do what they needed to do. <laughs> there you go. Were, so we, we adopted finally flourish as our, uh, our handle on our social and then online www.flourishsoftware.com. So it's flourish software. If you Google us, you can find us. And, uh, you know, we try to keep the web website and the blog up to date with relevant information. So, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you, Colton. It has been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. See you around. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Colton for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. Learn more about Colton and Flourish Software at flourishsoftware.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. Please subscribe or follow us at sasfuel.com. It's all free. And every SaaS founder who subscribes to the podcast will have three of their best clients volunteer to get a tattoo of your SaaS logo. Okay, maybe not, but you know it's worth a try, right? So go to SaaSfuel and subscribe. Who knows? Join us next week where we go from supply chain to the blockchain in our conversation with Eric Rind, founder and CEO of Imagine BC. A serial entrepreneur, Eric has started a number of companies as the main inventor and technologist. His current mission is to put people back in control of their data using blockchain technology. He's kickstarted a new data economy aligned with consumer expectation. It's a really interesting use case for blockchain. So check it out next week. And until we meet again, enjoy the journey.